You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leaf Sky, episode number 10. I want to thank our PA announcer, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Before we get going, two of the sport's most respected fighters step back into the octagon this weekend to compete for the welterweight title. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about the basketball and hockey, where DraftKings is even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for further details. Well, Leafs have played one game since we last chatted. 4-2 over the Montreal Canadiens. This was, oh, I don't know how to describe this. This was a game that you would not have seen from the Leafs in the past. This was a real display of maturity, of playing within yourself, of managing a game situation. So if you're watching the game at 116 and Josh Anderson on a neutral zone turnover, goes in and, and buries one, actually goes through Freddie Anderson. It was an early game goal that could have been a deflator in the past. In this particular game, it was not. The Leafs played within themselves, chipped away, and it was not the star players that did the job here. It was the support players. Travis Dermott back in the lineup ties the score 15-18 uh, of the second period, his first in the third period. Hall, the defenseman. Oh, this was a great highlight. It's like it was uh, sort of a dare. He had time to set up his shot, blows it by Carey Price, and that makes it 2-1. And then Mikheyev uh, also, like, let's do some math here. 42 seconds later, he scores, and, and there's Mikheyev at just in the, in the the net front area and is able to bang in a loose puck. Now, that's his first, and that, I believe that's his first since December of 2019. That was a game where he was injured in New Jersey and, and just hadn't scored since, although he had been a really good performer for the Leafs. And when you see him score that goal, you could say, boy, he could get a boatload of those, and, and maybe he will. He was moved up because of uh, injury, uh, playing with Tavares and Nylander, and uh, certainly on this particular play, uh, Kerfoot and Hyman are on the ice with him, so in the midst of a change. But this was... A really good goal from McKay. If you could feel the pressure lift off his back. 4-2, the Leafs win over Montreal. Saturday, they're at home to Montreal. And next week, they open a three-game set with Ottawa at Scotiabank Arena. Home of Mike Ross, by the way. I have to say that. Rossi does a nice job for us. Well, before we get a little uh, lost in time here, um, the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards will happen after our special guest. And our special guest is a guy who really turned himself into a premier broadcaster. And I've known him for a long time. 
Kenny Daniels is the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, but he started out as a local sportscaster in Toronto and literally worked his way up the ladder step-by-step-by-step, hosted on Hockey Night in Canada with Joe Bowen's backup on radio and did some play-by-play on Hockey Night in Canada too. That's a rare combo, hosting and play-by-play for Hockey Night in Canada, then eventually moved on to the Red Wings where he's been for many, many years and is a good friend and a really great broadcaster. Guest number one of one, Kenny Daniels. All right, Kenny, take us back to your first ever play-by-play occurrence for the Maple Leafs. Well, I got to... uh start the story with the fact that I was in Seoul doing the Olympics in 88, the Summer Olympics, and Alan Davis was running telemedia radio there. It was before it went all sports. And I came back from the Olympics where I was doing canoeing and kayaking and baseball and road racing and velodrome. And canoeing and kayaking really caught Alan Davis's attention because when I came back, and I wasn't very good, I was so nervous in Seoul. And I don't know how you are, Jim, maybe your first big assignment, and this was the big stage, and I'd never done any of these sports before, so you're studying. And Alan said, you were good, but where was your ceiling? You hit it before you started. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, it's all about inflection. You were so excited when they came out of the gates for that 1,500-meter kayak, like I gave a crap about kayaking. And he <laughs> said, but you had nowhere to go when they won. You were already there halfway through. And I said, good point. And I, and I went through a bunch of tapes with Alan. And, that, and I learned from that. And then it was, uh, I think, January 24th of 89. And I had just been robbed. And this is where the soul story comes in. I'd just been robbed in my apartment. And oh. I know it was the superintendent. Because oh. I waved goodbye to him. I was going to the dentist. And I didn't double lock my door. And I oh. came back. And if you can imagine, I had a high-end Panasonic VCR gym. Yeah. I used to record Sportsline every night at 11.30 on that thing. <laughs> VHS, <were> VHS, <laughs> I was a guy. I used to record it every night when I wasn't home doing late-night sports on CBC, and I got home, and you guys were killing everybody. And I got home, and I could watch Sportsline and see how I screwed up or I didn't do half as good a job as you guys did. Oh, my. So, yes, it's true. So I record, and I came back from the dentist, and first thing I see, my VCR is gone. <laughs> and all my stuff from Seoul is gone. All nice. these things that I had purchased. I even bought a pair of beautiful leather boots. You know, I wanted to be taller, Jim. You know, when <laughs> cowboy boots were a thing back then. Yeah. So they were gone. Who had feet that small that would steal my boots? Give me a break. <laughs> so I came in and I had been robbed. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to buy a house. So now I'm getting to my story. So a couple of months later, I buy a house. It's January 24th, 89. I'm moving on the 25th. The night before, on that day, January 24th, Alan Davis calls me and says, uh, Paul Romanuk, who would fill in for Joe Bone when he would do the games on Global right. at night, uh, couldn't uh, do the game because he was going to be, he was in TSN assignment to Jamaica. I don't know why he waited till the night before. Maybe he found five other people and I, or called five other people who couldn't do it. And I <laughs> said, Jim, I, I said, uh, Alan, I'm moving tomorrow. I bought a house. He said, find someone else to move your fucking ottoman. <laughs> You're doing the Maple Leaf game. And here, can you imagine, it was my dream to host hockey night, not so much to do play-by-play. And I felt I wasn't that good at the Olympics and play-by-play, although I'd learned a lot from Alan. And I called some friends. I said, let me call you back. And I was nervous. I hadn't done any prep yet, nothing. And it was Boston, Toronto. So I called some buddies. They would help with the move. And I did the game 
and I prepared like crazy and they went to overtime. All I needed was overtime, right? I wanted yeah. to get out of there, but yeah. it was enjoyable. And uh, Andy Brickley, who I wound up doing a game with on Versus, I've done many NBC games and Versus games back in the day. And one of the games I wound up doing was with Andy Brickley. Andy Brickley scored the overtime goal and Boston won that game two to one. So that was my first ever hockey play-by-play. I'd never been in the American Hockey League, never been junior hockey, never called anything play-by-play other than many different Olympic sports in 88. And then some three months later, there I am doing a play-by-play in the NHL. That's how I got my start. And and wouldn't you know it, it would be a Boston overtime win over Toronto to start it off. <laughs> it wasn't game seven, though. It wasn't anything like that. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you're you're an interesting story in that I, I know you, and I know I, I watched this happen. And so you were a very good television sportscaster and obviously had a passion for play-by-play, and you were relentless. You worked at this. You found your pacing. You, you built it. I saw you build that, and it's a remarkable thing you've done. So take us through the steps. How, how did you do that? Well, thank you, first of all. I think I, I went to sleep listening to Foster Hewitt when I was 8, 9, and 10 years old on the radio, so I guess I dreamed my job, literally. I know the kids like to say literally a lot, but in that case, it applies. I fell asleep listening to Foster on the radio. And those, you know, the West Coast games that you couldn't see when the original six uh, became the original 12. So (laughs) I, I, you know, I I would listen to Foster and I think I was calling play by play probably at that point in our family viewing area in our den. And maybe I was mixing up Keon for Kelly and they'd send me to bed after 40 minutes and I'd go upstairs (laughs) and sneak Foster on my little Panasonic radio uh, underneath my pillow. Uh, I just, and as much as I loved listening to that and the magic of what Maple Leaf Gardens would be like being there and just seeing it and thought, boy, if I could be in that Leaf dressing room. And then my my, my friend Benji had uh, N Blue Mezzanine right by Paul Morris, right by that little window where Paul would go, Toronto goes, Garvin number 14, Dave Keon. You know, and I'd be right by that window. To that was watch a good Paul. impersonation. Thank you. <laughs> to watch Paul Morris turn the microphone on, I'd see him. I'd be that close to him. He'd turn the mic on, and then that voice would come through. And it was in my head growing up, listening, listening to games on the radio. And then what, to sit what, right next to him, and we'd run down, literally run down in the intermission and stand outside the Maple Leaf dressing room. And there would be Bruce Gamble coming out with that huge scar underneath his cheek, and followed on onto the ice by Keon. That was so cool for me when I finally was in Maple Leaf Gardens, this place that Foster painted the picture of all those years, and I could be there. And whenever he invited me to a game, I would, you know, my brother, the first game I was ever at, my brother was dating someone who had season tickets. And we sat at the end seats. I don't know if they were reds or what were the lower ones then? Were they reds then or blues? Oh, boy, I think they were reds. Were they reds? Behind the net? Yeah. Yeah. It was Buffalo, Toronto. I, I think, it, yeah, I would have been about 69. I was it would have been 10 years old. So just to be that, that's really, that was my love of the game. I don't know why I just took to it. My brothers played the game, but, you know, I was so much younger than them. One brother's 11 years older than me, the other one's seven, so they really wanted nothing to do with me. So, you know, I was just a little pest to them. And they'd be out playing road hockey. I'd watch them. I'd go over and watch their games, but just the love of the game. And that's really where it started. And then... When I was 17 years old, I wrote a letter to Brian Williams. And Hmm. I said, you know, I'd love to talk to you about careers in broadcasting. And he called me. I'll never forget. My mother said, and he wrote me a letter too. And then he followed it up with a phone call about three months later. And uh, my mom said, Brian Williams is on the phone. Holy cow. And I would go down there and, and watch him do the sports at CBC Television. 
And some eight years later, Brian left to do network full time and I replaced him doing wow. like crazy. Yeah, Just crazy. it is. You know, and I, and I always say, Jim, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yep. There, there's no such thing as luck. You're yeah, you could be right place, right time. But everything you've done to that moment leads you to seize that opportunity. I, I think you can be right place, right time, but you can be there. But if you're not ready to seize it, you're not getting it. So yeah. it's when preparation meets opportunity. I think everything I did. Honestly, watching you guys on TV, watching Brian on TV, seeing how it's done in my head, boy, can I do that? You know, reading, uh, going to the bathroom, reading the newspaper out loud. My mom would walk by me and say, Ken's practicing again to be on television or on radio. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, so after Brian wrote me the letter and I, and I got out of uh, York University, graduated with a BA because Brian said, go get a Bachelor of Arts degree. Go get something to show someone you've done something in school and you can do it. That was the main thing. So I took some political science courses, some England, English courses, sociology, general BA stuff. And uh, at that point, I, every different, do you remember the guy by the name of Rayfield White? No, I don't. Okay, he was at CFTR and then moved up to Aurelia and through Jeff Ansell and, right. and Jeff and yeah, Chum FM, Chum yeah. FM Report. I'm yeah. Jeff Ansell. Yeah, I remember Jeff. I knew him well, actually, and I still do. Yes, and he's yeah. been ill lately, and we wish Jeff all the best. And I I was best friends with Jeff's sister-in-law, Sharon, growing up from first grade. And she said, why don't you call Jeff? And I went down and watched Jeff do the sports at Chum F, do the news at Chum FM. And he said, call this guy, call this guy, who told me to call this guy, call this guy. Went up to Penetanguishene for interviews. And finally, I got the name of uh, Rayfield White, who said, you know, I can't help you here, but call Mark Orton in Oshawa. So I did, and I got the job at CKR in Oshawa, just through calling people. They weren't paying much money, but that's when I got into political beat, the news, the uh, early morning reading the news on the FM station uh, in Oshawa, Saturday and Sunday morning, and I did the political beat from Oshawa, Durham, and Pickering, and uh, just Whitby, all those city councils. And then when I got to Toronto, when Larry Silver offered me the job, eight months later I applied, and Larry Silver said, all I can offer you is not a lot of money and a ticket on the TTC. So I said, you got it. Yeah. So 10 o'clock at night, I'd be doing the overnight at, uh, I guess it would have been all news at the time or music of your life, whatever it was back then, right? Yeah. And uh, he hired me. I did overnight from 10 at night until 8 in the morning, reading newscasts, overnight news with John Oakley. Oakley was oh, the overnight yeah. DJ. Sure. Yeah. So that's how long ago that was. And that's really how I got my start from, from radio, just calling people, political beat, and then doing overnights in Toronto. Yeah, you know, and, and the sad reality of that is just a slight comment on today's world is that circuit that you that you sort of created for yourself. And, and I did, I think all of us at that time created our own little circuit to edge forward step by step because we wanted to be sure that we were doing it properly doesn't exist anymore, which is, I find that sad. When I texted you, Jim, when all the layoffs came at TSN Radio and Hamilton and Winnipeg and Vancouver, it was just so sad. And, and like Brian Munns out in Winnipeg, and I said, this crazy industry and the shame of it all is all the kids who aspire to do what we're doing won't have those opportunities. And they were less as it was in the last 10 years, right? You're yeah, just yeah. syndicating and you yeah. couldn't do overnight. You couldn't make mistakes. God, the mistakes that I made doing overnight news and no one was listening except a couple of friends. At 1.15 yeah. of the morning, who the hell was listening back then? They were sleeping, but you could screw up all the time. Yeah, you know? and, and you don't we get all that. did. No. Yeah, we all did it. But where did, did you Where did you start? Where did you start? I don't even know that. I started, where did you start? I, I started in Simcoe, Ontario. Okay. 
Now, 10,000 10, watts, it was 1,600 on the dial. 10,000 watts, it took 5,000 <laughs> to get the signal out the door. <laughs> but those, yeah. those are situations, though, where you're, you're starting and you look around and you're petrified. Mm-hmm. You go, I can't stay here. This can't be the end for me. I mean, it's, it's a real fear uh, driving force there because you'll look around and go, holy crap, what is this? I got to get out of here. Right. I, I would I would make that drive to Oshawa, and I remember the first newscast I did was an afternoon filling in on the FM station, and you know General Motors, right? Motor yeah. City, Oshawa, and it yeah. was the president of General Motors. It was either George or John. It's in my book, but I can't remember. Whatever it was, I screwed up the guy's first name. Can you imagine messing up in Oshawa the president of General Motors' first oh. name? That's well, whatever it was, right there. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was, I said, George, and those booths are not soundproof <laughs> because Mr. Grant, like the Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah. the guy's name was Mr. Grant. <laughs> the general manager of the station walked by and I could hear him now. It's John, damn it. <laughs> As I'm reading the news, a young kid, but those were the screw ups you could make in a small town, even though that was a bad screw up. You could make those without being yeah. fired and the and kids today and it's such a great industry we're in as crazy it is i know we love it and we could say we've never worked a day in our lives and yet we've had our ups and downs in this industry but those kids who aspire to do what we do i i hope they have the opportunities because what we had was special i really do. oh yeah we were definitely in our time was was the best time because we're content people right and, and mm-hmm. content ruled and, and that's not the case anymore and that's just you know that's not a slam against anybody that's just the way it is you have to accept yeah. that so let's let's go back to your your leaf career um, as you're building your own sound uh so take us through some of the games you did and what what jumps off your memory banks well let's see at 15 a year I remember one, it's funny, the ones you do remember was St. Louis, Toronto one night, and they were brawling all mm. over, and I was sick as a dog. I oh. had I had thrown up in the parking lot before the game. Oh. Now, a lot of the Leaf games I did, I would be at, you know, above Max Milk. Right. There's, there's a team. <laughs> is, is there still yeah. a Max Milk in Canada anymore? I think I think there is. Well, who knows now? But yeah, there is, there are some. Anyway, it was, you remember where CBC was above Max Milk and, mm-hmm. and we were over on Jarvis Street. So we had to run from CBC across to Jarvis to actually get on television, but our offices were there. So I had done the six o'clock sports at 620 and then I'd go fill in and go over there and be on the air at whatever it was, 640, run across the road and do the, the radio games pregame and then call the hockey game. Whatever the time frame was, was 7.30 start, then maybe a little bit longer time. But I remember that day, 6 o'clock, and I did the sports, and I was really sick. I got through that, went to the parking lot, sick as a dog. I call the game. I'm sick during the second intermission, and brawls break out in the third period. Huh. I'm going, this is the last thing I need, was to be calling a game. And somehow you get through it, though, right? You, you do. When the game, yeah. when the puck is on, you could be sick in the intermission. But when the game's going, you're okay. And that game finally ended, and they were brawling. So that... I mean, doing 15 a year, no game really stands out as one except for the one where I felt really sick that I wasn't because I'm starting to call the game and it's the Minnesota North Stars in their first incarnation in Minnesota. Minnesota North Stars before they went to Dallas. And uh, I called the game, got my notes doing the game with Bill Waters. And I looked down and I said, it's along the near boards and Churla clears one back into the Maple Leaf zone. And on the air, 
Bill says, and I think he was the agent for Shane Churla, says, Ken, I don't think Shane Churla's dressed tonight on the air. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice, right? <laughs> yeah. So I look down, do that double take, because you're pretty close at Maple Leaf Gardens to look yeah. down on the bench, and I looked, and he had the nameplate on there, as much as Harold Ballard in the old days never wanted nameplates on the right. back, did them the right. same color. I looked down, and I see, and I said, on the air, and I said, Bill, if Shane Shirley isn't number 27, you tell me who is. And then there's silence. But that night, I remember being pretty pissed, because here I am, a young guy, breaking in, doing the game, and I'm going, you just don't do that on the air to somebody. I didn't think. I don't, you, you say during the commercial, and then you try to slide it, and you say, my mistake, right? Yeah. But uh, so those are the Leaf games, really. That I remember watching lots of Leaf games, of course, and Wayne Gretzky taking over and banking one off Dave Ellett's skates and all those. And and I remember watching, uh, you know, our, our housekeeper was from Montreal, so the 67 Cup. I remember that because she was looking after us when my parents were out of town. She was from Montreal, and boy, did we give it to her in 67. So I remember those. But as for doing Leaf games on radio at 15 a year, Honestly, not one stands out like crazy, but it's more like being sick or feeling sick that seemed to stand out more, more back then. Well, just correct me if I'm wrong, though. You did. You were doing those 15 games. Um, you, you worked at CBC. Didn't, you also worked at the fan when it went to all sports. Didn't you do the morning run? Yes. When it became Joe Bowen was doing morning sports at the time. And then when they moved him more into hosting role, perhaps with Mike Inglis, uh, when they began, uh, then I'd come in and I'd always fill in. And Joe's, um, God, had, had leukemia. What was it? Was it uh, one of his boys was had leukemia as a youngster. Mm. And I know, and Joe would often have to leave. And I was living right next door at 60 Holly and 40 Holly. Oh, I was really? right next, yeah, I was right next door on the yeah. seventh floor. Actually, my balcony could look into the newsroom on Holly Street. So wow. when I'd go out and barbecue on my balcony, I'd be waving to Dan Shulman and Barb the Julio. <laughs> I'd be waving. <laughs> so if something happened, and I, and I want to, I could be wrong here. I think it was Sean. Uh, he's still okay. Everybody's great now. But yeah. at the time, and Joe was going through all this, and if yeah. he'd be at the radio station and had to leave, I'd get a phone call early morning. Ken, I got to go to the hospital. Can you come in? So I'd whip next door, throw a hat on, and I'd go down the elevator on one elevator in one building, up the elevator in the other. And I'd fill in for Joe. And I guess, again, because, you know, Alan Davis was there and uh, obviously had liked my work from before and we were close and preparation met opportunity. And again, and this was just proximity, I guess, more than opportunity. And, and then when they switched over, they said, Ken, can you do uh, morning sports for us? So I was doing morning sports there. Uh, up, we were on the air at 5.30. So oh. I was probably up at about, yeah, I was up oh. at about 3.30, 4 o'clock. Um, and go into the radio station to do morning sports because at that time we'd moved from Holly Street to um, uh, Bathurst and York Mills area. So then I'd drive down to the radio station and I'd go back home and shower and then I'd go do my day work at CBC. And quite often, as I said, after CBC, get off the air at 620 or whatever it was and doing sports over there, I would uh, then go do uh, Maple Leaf Radio at night. Long wow. days, long wow. days, but great yeah. days. Loved it. Love oh, yeah. I, I go, honestly, I'd get home at 1130 and, you know, you're wired, whether you did a late night sports, you did, you're sort of wired after the show. Oh, I yeah. A lot of nights we played late night hockey together, you and I. Yeah. Uh, we had those hockey games together. We, um, so you go home, you'd be wired. I'd get to sleep 1231 o'clock and that alarm would go at, at I don't know, four o'clock, 345. And go, oh, oh. My God. But somehow you get through it. You, you'd sleep all weekend, but you get through it. The Friday yeah. morning I, I had... 
as part of my deal with CBC, which is maybe why they let me go in the long run, I was only then working four days a week. So when I got off the radio Friday morning, and what happened uh, at that time, when I was hosting Hockey Night in Canada, early 90s, I'd get off the air Friday morning on the radio station, not have to work CBC local television at CBLT. I'd then fly usually to Montreal or Vancouver to do uh, a game for Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. So I'd be gone Friday, then take the red eye home Saturday, sleep Sunday, and then back at it Monday morning. Those were those were crazy five or six years. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. At Hockey Night, you hosted and did play-by-play, didn't you? I did. I did play-by-play on Leaf Radio early 90s, and then I was hosting Hockey Night in Canada early 90s. And then John Shannon came aboard. I It was would have been 94. 94, 95 was the lockout. So John Shannon was coming aboard in 94 to Hockey Night in Canada, the exec right. producer. It's strange. Again, this is where you just meet people along the way, right? So because of those games where I was filling in on Maple Leaf Radio for Joe, we did some games at the old Met Center in Minnesota. Oh, my God. And the Borea yeah. Salmon Leaf days. In there. Oh, crazy. Uh, in the Met Center. And I, we, Dave Hodge was doing play-by-play for Minnesota. John Shannon was his producer. So we never flew out right after games back then, as we do now with the Red Wings are chartering everywhere. We'd stay right across at the Marriott, across right. the parking lot from the Met Center. So we'd go out for drinks after the game. I didn't know John or Dave, but our crew would go out and, you know, um, and I'd just tag along. And I'd met John and Dave, the one time I met Dave in my life, and John Shannon. I guess John took a liking to my call. I guess he listened to everything even though he was in Minnesota then. And when he came on board in 94, he called, got a call out of the blue, and it was John Shannon. I met him a couple of times. And he said, Ken, I'm coming aboard on Hockey Night in Canada. I'd like to move you from hosting to play-by-play. I hear you're up for the job in Vancouver. I had applied for the Canucks radio job. My only, the only thing standing in my way was a guy by the name of Jim Houston who was thinking of going back to Vancouver. He had been with TSN, I guess, he's doing everything, baseball. You know, the years get all confusing after a while. But obviously, if Jim Houston wanted the job, I wasn't getting the job. And Jim Houston wanted the job, so he didn't get the job. So John Shannon said, uh, you know, I'd like you not even to go there. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get it anyway. So he said, I'd like you to come to Hockey Night in Canada. I just have one condition. And I said, what's that? He said, you have to leave radio. I don't want any bad habits. And oh. you know what he means by that, yeah. the, you know, yeah. the constant call and right. layout. Right. And I said, not a problem, which worked perfectly because uh, CJCL that year lost the rights going forward to Q- Q107 for a season. So it didn't matter. I had no choice in that. So that that's really how I got the job doing. I'd never done play-by-play on television before, done the radio, obviously, Leaf Games. But John moved me from hosting to uh, play-by-play on Hockey Night in Canada. That's, that's how it happened. And the first game I was ever going to do in 95, I, uh, as John said in the newspaper, I was going to make my debut and I had laryngitis from Wednesday on that week. Wow. I don't know whether it was nerves or what, but oh. John, I remember his quote in the paper was Ken Daniels going to make his debut with us, but he sounds like Kermit the Frog. So <laughs> it, it wasn't happening. And it was a good thing. I remember it was Philadelphia, Montreal, and John LeClaire scored three and it was a 7-1 win for Philadelphia and Montreal. Dick Irvin did the play-by-play that night, so it probably would have been a brutal game. Uh, to make your debut. So I didn't. And then my first game was out in Vancouver um, the next week. And and I, I put this in my book, Jim, a picture at the time, Alan Clark, who's head of CBC, and John Shannon sent me telegrams hmm. to the hotel in Vancouver. There was a telegram. 
That's you great. Crazy? Yeah. yeah. That's not there's any telegrams. Think about that. 1995. It doesn't seem that long ago, <laughs> but it, hell, it was a long time. It's a quarter century ago. <laughs> Pre email. <laughs> Prehistoric <laughs> email. I know. I know. Can telegram? What the hell's that? Well, I remember the telegram newspaper, but you know. Yeah, telex. <laughs> Try and explain yeah. to somebody what a telex is. That's right. always a laugh. Um, oh, yeah. So let me ask you this. I do remember this. I remember you hosting one night. And I don't know where Ron was, but you had to do Coach's Corner. Yeah. How oh, was that? That would have been around 1990, start of the Maple Leafs playoffs. I was there, and Mark Askin was the producer, and uh, and the best you could have. Yeah. And I was down there covering the, the Toronto-St. Louis opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for CBC. I was, again, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, but I'd been on TV before. And again, Jim, this was before really cell phones were around when you had that huge cell phone. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember being at CBC television in about 89 or 90. It would have been around that same time. And CBC was giving the folks phones, right? Yeah. So they could be called when you didn't want to be called Bricks. to go cover a story. It was a brick. It was a brick. <laughs> and the guy, I remember the guy coming to my house and I thought, boy, I'm going to have a phone in my car. That's so cool. And the guy says, okay. And I still have it. And he said, would you like the capability of this phone to leave the car so you can carry it with you? And I said, who the hell needs to carry a phone with you? No, just leave it in the car, wire it. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't. It was in the car. Anyway, so around that time, uh, start of the Maple Leafs playoffs, so it would have been 90, uh, I think 90, uh, St. Louis and Toronto. And I'm down there for CBC covering just to send stuff back. And I get back to my hotel room and that red light is flashing again because no cell phones. And I pick it up. It's around midnight. Had a few pops that night and the game's the next day. And it's Mark Askin leaving me a voice message. Ken, we need you to host Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow night. Ron had to leave. Now, Carrie, his wife, had miscarried. Ron had to go home. And I call Mark and in his room and he said ron left you his jacket will pin up the sleeves because ron was obviously a lot bigger than i was so i had the cbc it wasn't the light blue blazer it wasn't the baby blue one it was the dark so he left me and then so i get to the game the next day and again as nervous as i could be and don cherry i'd met a few times and don was very nice so back then you had all the different regions right leaf region wherever the games were going so you tape coach's corner at four in the afternoon so don and i tape coach's corner his stanley cup playoff predictions and i get through it okay again i got notes in front of me and you're on two stools and i get through it we're now in the uh, and I do my opening for hockey night. And I remember Todd Gill, you can find it on YouTube. And I'm standing by the rink and Todd Gill and all again, all the Maple Leafs. So I knew because I covered them on a daily basis. Todd took the ice and, and as he's skating by me, he takes his hand and rubs the top of my head. Well, it sort of relaxed me as they went out there and I'm doing my open for hockey night in Canada. Get through that. We're watching the first period in the green room in St. Louis, the old arena. And Don says to me, oh, Kenny boy, this period's not going like I thought it would. I thought the Leafs would come out differently than they did, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have to do this live. I said, live? <laughs> to the Ontario region where my family and friends are? Live? <laughs> and he turns to me and he says, don't worry, Kenny boy. I was great the first time. I'll be great the next. <laughs> Didn't give a shit about me. And... <laughs> 
So we 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 did it live. We did it live because you know he at least come out like this and it was a horrible first period and St. Louis was all over him. So Don didn't want to look bad in, in the in the Leafs region. So that yeah. was my that was my uh, my uh, lose my virginity on, on Hockey Night in Canada hosting Coach's Corner. And I probably did. I remember a few years later in Alberville. And I was supposed to do covering snow jumping, doing play-by-play ski jumping, <laughs> snow jumping, good sport, ski jumping. Uh, and uh, they said, would you like to stay behind instead and do the month? Because Ron's got to leave early of Hockey Night in Canada hosting and doing Coach's Corner. I said, yes, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I can pass the Olympics. I'm good. I'm good. That's fine. I'm good. So I ended up doing just uh, two summer games. I never did a winter's game. And I, I stayed behind and, and did four weeks with Don on Coach's Corner and hosting Hockey Night in Canada. And one of those, I remember John Muckley, the late, great John Muckley. You remember how tall John was? Was he 6'5", 6'6"? Yeah. Big man. Yeah. yeah. So he's a yeah. good, I'm 5'7 I'm at best. So Mark Askin produced, that was the first, and Pat Burns was coaching the Leafs and Mark, that was the first time we really did coaches in game. You never had a head coach in game and intermission. That was Mark and Hockey Night, and I was the first to do that. We'd get Pat Burns in the intermission. And one of the intermissions I had to do, John Muckler, who was so much taller than me, the shot just looked stupid. And it was in the (laughs) hallway. Mark got a a milk crate. (laughs) And I was standing on the milk crate to interview John Muckler. You know what (laughs) my friend said to me the next day? Wait a minute. How the hell were you eye to eye with John Muckler? <laughs> oh, that's television, man. You can get away with anything. I'm so, sure. Yeah, just, those... a, just a couple of notes. I'm sure John had something to say about it. And we keep mentioning Mark Askin. Uh, my show, uh, Sportsline, he was the original producer of it in, in that there were other guys that may have produced it for, for little segments before him. But he had the 10 glory years. And, and then he left us to go to Molestar and Hockey Night in Canada. And without a doubt, the best producer in the business. Yes. Oh, for sure. And I, I know that what, you know, when, when John gave me my break, which was actually the tape I used to get to Detroit, it was the uh, Ottawa Buffalo um, first round playoff series uh, in uh, 97, 96, 97, and uh, Buffalo beat Ottawa in seven games. And it was a pretty big series and it was a great series. And John Shannon put me on that one with Greg Millen for play-by-play. And we wound up with Mark Askin as the um, producer. Yeah. And I remember saying to John after, how did you, how did we end up with Mark Askin as our producer? And he said, so you and Greg wouldn't f- it up. <laughs> That's why I gave you Mark. Exactly. So he was just, you know, he just knew. And that's the thing about producers, Jim, as you well know, it's just the feel. And Mark always says to young producers, and I've used this in the past with all due respect to them, because there's such a truism to it. He says to them, don't worry, in about three years, you'll start to hear voices. And they look at him. It'll be the announcers. Yeah. They'll lead you where you need to go if you're truly listening. Yes. But you can't come with the game in a briefcase and ready to go. Yes, they are producing, but sometimes, not that we're controlling the show, we're not. And I rarely hit talk back now on games in Detroit, hardly ever. Maybe it needs something, or yeah, you got it. Uh, But if they're truly listening, and the good ones do, they'll hear, oh, that's a great play in the corner and so on, and they'll go back to that. You know, or the analysts will say something, and they'll go back to it, or you'll get a feel, and they know we got a board on this guy, and I'm talking about this guy. Okay, we can finish the story on it. So... That's where they'll, they'll hear voices. And Mark was so good at not only guiding you, but allowing the freedom for the 
play-by-play or the analyst to guide him too. And he just, that's the feel of the game. And that's, you'll never have a perfect game, but some games you do and you're not on, in sync and you just leave there and you just feel dirty, right? God, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Mess. yeah. 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 And then yeah. when, when it's in sync, there's nothing better. No, I know it's, it's a special feeling. You feel like you're, you're, you're sort of uh, like a kite. You're, you're floating, right? Yeah. 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 Love that. It doesn't happen yeah. all that often, but when it does. No, no, no. I know. But when it does, it's like, yeah. now that's why I came into work today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Kenny, I think we should end it. I, we could go on for another hour, but you know, limitations <laughs> i appreciate it i you know i as i say I, I you know you probably hate hearing this like me when people say boy i grew up watching you i didn't grow no. up watching you jim because we're the no. not saying that but <laughs> i admired what you did and i loved what you guys did and really you you for all the sports networks that are out there now you guys were really the first besides you and watching uh the cnn with uh fred and uh who the heck was it? oh boy CNN. with uh fred and nick charles Nick Charles, Nick yeah. Charles, Fred Hume. What watching those guys, Nick Charles yeah. and and you guys, that that's all I had was was Sportsline, and you guys did it better than anyone. And all the satellites and the highlights, um, I loved it. And we tried to do what you did in six minutes uh, on our local stations, and we couldn't. And after a while, you said, "What the heck? Just do the best local you can." And you guys d- delivered everything else. Well, was- thank you for that. And you know, I've always had respect and, and admiration for how you built your your play by play career because that's not easily done. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. And thanks for being a Red Wing fan, by the way. Oh, don't do that. No. <laughs> hey, Leafs first and then Red Wing fan. Okay? Yes. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> Kenny, thank you very much. Last minute of play in this podcast. Oh, there he is. PA announcer Mike Ross with the hint. Time is becoming a factor, as Danny Gallivan would say. Yes Guy, No Guy Awards. Well, we sort of went through this earlier. The Yes Guy Awards go to all those people that scored their first goal of the season in that win over Montreal on Wednesday night. Travis Dermott, a Yes Guy. Mikheyev, a Yes Guy. Hall, a Yes Guy. And I'm going to add one to Freddie Anderson, who in that game was really steady. Steady Freddie is back. He stopped uh, 33 of 35 shots. So Freddie Anderson gets one in a no guy. A little bit of sarcasm here. A no guy award goes to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner because their scoring streaks were stopped. But the good news is the yes guy goes to the least because it didn't matter. And that's the way this thing should track forward. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 10. Hope you come back Tuesday for episode 11, Leafs Guy.